Well, good morning, church. All right, we're alive and excited to be here, right? Hey, I'm so glad you're here. My name's Kevin. I'm your lead pastor. And hey, if you're new with us, uh, I'd love to meet you. If we haven't met yet, if you want to come down to the scary place called the front after the service, I'd love to say hey, or you can grab me in the hallway if that works better for you and your family. Just to, just to touch base, you can ask some questions or, or just to... To, to meet me or whatever. So I'd love to do that. Also, if you're joining us for the very first time, you need to know that this morning we're at the tail end with the very last part of a semi-long series uh, through the book of 1 Timothy entitled House Rules. And this whole book is really, it's written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor by the name of Timothy who is pastoring a church in a very influential city, in a very affluent city, in a very sort of jacked up city uh, that he's leading in. So this is, there's this church in Ephesus that Paul's going, listen, there's a way that you've got to do some things. And so if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. If you're new with us again, we open our Bibles here, and so hopefully you've got your Bible with you. That's an important part of, of what we're doing here. As you turn there, I, I remember when I was 13, and my mom had recently purchased our family's very, very first personal computer. And one day I decided that I should take it apart to see how it worked. And so that's what I did. I pulled every last component out of that thing. I laid all those pieces all over my mom's dining room table. And when my mom got home from work and she walked into that house and she saw that table, she looked at me and said, my son's a genius. <laughs> no, not what she said at all. <laughs> she didn't say that at all. She said, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Uh, in fact, there was a moment she just stood there sort of speechless. And if you know my mom... That's something. And see, taking that thing apart was no trouble at all. Wasn't a problem. You know what was hard? Yeah, putting it back together. Yeah, because in, in those days, there was no thing called the Internet. And, and computers at that time really didn't come with owner's manuals. And my mom, for some unknown reason, thought it was a big deal that I did not know how to put that computer back together. And in a similar way, Paul apparently thinks it's a big deal how a church is put together. Apparently, according to Paul, there is some things that you need to do, and then there's some things that you shouldn't do. And it's really, if you want a healthy church, there's a way to do it. And this book has been sort of an owner's manual for how a healthy church should function, of how a healthy church should be put together. And this morning we're going to be looking at the final few verses of this book. And starting in verse 20, this is what it says. Paul writes, Timothy, hey man, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care. Timothy, fight for it. Timothy, protect it. Which begs the question as we bring this series to a close, what was Timothy entrusted with that he was supposed to guard? Right, what was it he was given? He was entrusted with. He said, hold this in trust and guard it. And so I'm going to read a couple verses from this book. And you tell me if you can guess what he's supposed to, to guard. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, we should guard the teaching and sound doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, uh, we should guard the teaching of sound doctrine. Chapter 2, proper teaching. Chapter 3, elders who are able to teach. Chapter 4, verse 6, the words of faith and sound doctrine. Chapter 4, verse 11, to teach these things. Chapter 4, verse 13, until I come... Give attention to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation, and to teaching. Chapter 4, verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Chapter 5, verse 17. Work hard at preaching and teaching. Chapter 6, verse 1. That the name of our God and our doctrine would not be defiled. Chapter 6, verse 2. To teach and preach these principles. Chapter 6, verse 3. To focus on sound words and sound doctrines. What was Timothy entrusted with? Yeah. He was entrusted with the foundational principles of the Orthodox Christian faith. And his responsibility was to both learn those things, but then he was supposed to teach those things. He was responsible to express. He was responsible to communicate this in this very eclectic, very affluent, very influential body of believers what it means to walk with God in a pagan city as a church. And what's crazy is Timothy was told to do this within the context of a city that had all sorts of competing ideas. They had all sorts of competing philosophies. This city had all sorts of world religions. And so in verse 20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter. He says, turn away from the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. For when there is false teaching or false doctrine, people drift from the truth. Very rarely when there's false teaching or there's false doctrine do people just, you know, run away from, from orthodox Christian principles. You just sort of drift. And now, what is this worldly or empty chatter that he's talking about? Very simply, it's thought, thoughts of life apart from God. It's thoughts of doing life on your own, whether it's humanism, whether it's secularism, whether it's Gnosticism, or whatever it might be. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, which is, you know, very creatively entitled Second Timothy, uh, he says that when you listen to false teaching, when you listen to false doctrine, he says it spreads in you like gangrene. I thought, wow. And so think of it this way. Here's Timothy, and he's preaching. And there's some people that hear him preaching, and he's saying there is one God, and he does not live in a temple made with human hands. And the Romans who were listening go, hey, we've got dozens and dozens of deities in this pantheon of gods that we worship. And so they hear Timothy, and they just scoff at him. And maybe while he's preaching, he said, hey, hey, salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone, which is in the Bible. And all the polytheistic Hindus who were in the city would have scoffed at him. And maybe he talked about it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment, which is 
in the Word of God. And all the Buddhists who believe in reincarnation, they would have scoffed at him. And he may have even said that God has revealed himself in his word, and the early Gnostics would have scoffed at him. The point is, he had a very, very difficult assignment. Because Paul is saying, look, avoid these things. Don't play around. Don't hang around with false teaching and false doctrine. He says it's subtle, like it's sneaky, and it's highly contagious. And if you do, you will begin to drift south. And notice verse 21. It says, which some have professed, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Meaning some have begun to embrace these false teaching, they begin to embrace this false doctrine, and it's pulling them away. If you've ever gone out to the beach, and you grab your flotation device, and you walk out in there, and you lay it out, and you get on top of that, and you're ready, and you just lay it out, and you're just going to absorb some rays, and two minutes later, you look back at the shore, you're like, where's my stuff? Where? You've drifted south. That's what he's talking about right here. Don't get too close to these things and lose focus because when you listen to or when you stand next to false teaching and false doctrine, you are moving whether you know you're moving or not. That happens all the time at the beach. That's how you know they're from out of town, (laughs) right? Those are the people that we affectionately laugh at. They don't know that they're moving. They are clearly moving. And if you let that go over time, the long-term consequences, Paul says, are always catastrophic. This week I was hanging some pictures in my office, and I asked my daughter to help me. And I brought a level to help us make sure that everything is level and square, because that's important to me, because I'm not a monster, Right? You know, everything needs to be level and square. But she wanted to eyeball it. Now, to her credit, she's in this service uh, right now and didn't know I was going to say this, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, and she wanted to eyeball it. Now, to her credit, she has the same eye as her mom. It's really, really good. But we're hanging like five or six pictures in a row on my wall. And if you're off with that first picture or second picture, it's no big deal. But by the time you get to the fifth or sixth picture, you're kind of like, did a guy with like one leg shorter than the other? Like, hang the, everything's kind of going like this in my office. And I was afraid of that because it, it gets all jacked up. And, and, and the same is true with God's word. Initially, you embrace false teaching for a second. Like you listen to to false doctrine just for a minute. It's not that big of a deal. It's just another philosophy that has been revealed maybe in a different way than our Bible. But let's just say the number of pictures on my wall represents time. You just play out false teaching over time, and pretty soon you're not only not quite level, you too are completely out of whack. Your doctrine, your teaching is like this. And everyone looks at you just like my dog Brewster. (laughs) Right? That's what you talk. That's what happens over time. 
So being just a little off, embracing false teaching and a little time, will do that. And that was the concern that Paul had for these people. And what I love about our God is that thankfully our God is a self-revealing God. So he has revealed himself to us through creation. It's why when we go to the beach and there's this beautiful sunset, we're like, wow, love evolution. <laughs> I'm in the mountains. I love to go to the mountains and I watch the sun almost every night. I sit on the back porch. We, we get a cabin that we can see the sunset right there over the mountains. And I, I'm sitting there and I go, wow. He is revealing himself to us through creation, but he's also, our God, reveals himself through the incarnation, and he reveals himself in his word, and even a subtle departure from the revealed word of God can be devastating and catastrophic. And so as you can imagine, these cultural influences were very tempting in Timothy City, but we've got to admit, they're just as tempting in ours. Because if you think about it, how did information flow in the first century? Some dude was wealthy enough to own like a wooden tablet. He etched some things in it. And he was like, that's a good idea. So he went and gave it to a friend, and maybe they talked about it. Maybe he tried to make a copy of it, and then he gave it maybe to somebody else. And maybe over the course of three months, it might have made it ten miles down the road at another city. That's kind of how it worked. I mean, it took a long time for ideas to spread because right now, anyone can record absolute nonsense. They can claim it to be truth. They can post it online, and it goes viral like that. Like before this service is over, hundreds of thousands of likes can come in. The information flow that we have right now is so much more prevalent than the biblical writers could have ever comprehended. So opinions on biblical worldviews, explanations about life apart from God coming at us all day long through our phones, through every screen we can think of, through friends and neighbors just whispering in our ears, just subtly leading us astray, challenging the revealed word of God with a cultural expression of some quasi-biblical truth. Because you'll, you'll hear people talk, and at the very beginning, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. That, sound, that sounds really good. And you're a Christian, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that Kevin, they said they're a Christian. So, so you know it's good. And you know, no, that doesn't mean they're a Christian. It just means they say they're a Christian until you start listening to them. And the result is that many Christians who have now been professing faith are highly culturally influenced in their thoughts and opinions, which means their authority, which means their opinions are not necessarily in the revealed word of God, but in maybe the revealed word of God and culture, or maybe culture alone. And in our day, it's the exact same thing. Let me give you an example. Let the offending begin. Right? <laughs> When Timothy was preaching about the uniqueness of the gospel and whether it was the Romans or the Hindus or the Buddhists or the Gnostics or whoever, they scoffed at him. And I began to wonder this week, what makes you scoff? What makes you scoff? So if I said to you, for example, according to Genesis chapter 1, 
God created the world by the very word of his mouth, which means there's no Big Bang and there is no macro evolution. Does that bother you? And if I said to you that God fashioned humankind in his image according to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, which means we are not ancestors or descendants of apes, does that bother you? And if I said to you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb, and according to Psalm 139, that life begins at conception, if I said to you, according to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139, 13, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that for well. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days of my life. They were ordained for me and they were written in your book before one of them came to be. Does that bother you? And if I were to say to you that Genesis chapter 1, and I'm still in Genesis, by the way, said to you that he created us male and female, and there are, according to God's word, two genders, and in terms of pronouns, it's him and he, and it's she and her, does that bother you? And if I said to you that God created the experience of sexuality to be enjoyed within the context of marriage, which means fornication is wrong, adultery is wrong, if any expression of sexuality outside of the context of a husband and wife is considered adultery, does that bother you? We've gone through 15 weeks in 1 Timothy, and I've said all sorts of things. Have some things bothered you? And my question would be, why is that? Does it bother you because the Bible says it? Or does it bother you because culture has said, I don't believe it? Why does it bother you? And let me say this. I understand the tension. Because, like, I read the Bible too, and it drives me nuts. Like, if we're just voting, there's some things in there I wished maybe weren't in there. Because they're hard to swallow. But I'm not in a position of authority to say, you know what, well, you know, like, I agree with that, but, you know, not that. And, and I agree with that, but certainly not that. So if the Bible says it, and just by and large, just so that we know, by and large, the Bible says what it means and means what it says. By and large, the Bible says what it means and means what it says. Now, of course, there, there are the rare exception of a few contested passages, sure. But by and large, it says what it means and means what it says. But those things that I just read for you are not actually controversial, biblically speaking, at all. But it certainly is in our culture. You know, it's sort of like you know how when you read the Bible, the disciples said things like, hey, teach us to pray. And Jesus like, sure. But you know that when Jesus talked to the disciples, he says, when you fast, the assumption is they were fasting. Like they, they, they knew how to fast. It wasn't, a con it wasn't like, well, I wonder if I should fast or not fast. No, it was a settled thing. He's like, when you fast. Uh, you, you're already doing it. You already know how to do it. It's the same thing here. Not controversial topics at all in God's word, but it is to us. Why? Because we're living in a culture that has embraced all sorts of things. 
Because if you walk onto a college campus and you walk on maybe downtown, or maybe you take the video clip of this that's happening right now and you crop that and you put that on YouTube, you better believe there's going to be people out front picketing this church and they're going to post some of the most disturbing things about us you've ever read. Why? Because we're living in a culture that has embraced worldly chatter and secret information of things falsely called knowledge that oppose the Word of God. And Paul says, church... You want to be a healthy church? You've got to avoid that. You've got to flee from that. You've got to run from that and guard what's been entrusted to you. And so what does worldly and empty chatter and false knowledge look like in our day specifically? Offensive moment number two. Well, one way this happens in our culture today is in something called deconstruction. A lot of people are talking about deconstructing their faith. So what does it mean to deconstruct our faith? Because some prominent Christian leaders have deconstructed their faith. And the term is really, it's difficult to get a definition to it because it's both informal and it's technical. So it kind of depends on the context, but let me give you a high-level overview of what deconstruction is. It's an overflow or it's an outgrowth of postmodernism, of postmodernity. So, it postmodernity is a response to the Enlightenment period where the, the postmodernists were going, hey, prove everything, prove everything, prove everything, just prove everything. And so, in the 40s and 50s, postmodernism or postmodernity began to rise. And it said, yeah, you know, you know, you really can't know. And there's not really one truth, and how do you know what the truth is? Because truth is influenced by culture. And you'll know you're living in a postmodern or a deconstruction world when people are talking about their truth, your truth, or our truth. That's deconstruction language. That's postmodernity at its finest. And there are really four things to think about with this, if you're going to get your hands around this. First is the idea that humans, through the years of biological evolution, have developed the capacity to create constructs of thought that give life meaning. So it's very humanistic in nature. And so it's not divinely revealed. Truth is not a revelation from God. Truth is a revelation of self. It's a revelation from self. Second is that human language communicates truth based on the individual and not universally accepted principles, but rather on personal truth, on personal context, on personal experiences, on personal life stories. Well, you don't know my story, and therefore, you don't know my truth. That's deconstruction. That's post-modernity. Third is that theologians who consult old texts or the written works here that we're talking about in the Bible of the past, they do so in vain because all they are is they are encountering someone else's truth. They have the experience they have the story. It's their truth that they're telling us. And the farther you're removed from that, historically, the less credibility you have to accurately interpret the text. 
So I know it says, I know it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it really doesn't mean that today because, you know, we've, we've progressed since then. So that's not necessarily true anymore. That was true for them, but that's not true for us. The problem with that is, as you can imagine, there's no limiting principle. Uh, so which biblical principles do, do you say, well, you know, well, that one applies today. Yeah, but that one doesn't. That one applies. But this one over here, this one doesn't. And now what you're doing is you're playing Thomas Jefferson. What I mean by that is you're cutting and pasting. They have the Thomas Jefferson Bible. I don't know if you've seen this. You can Google it online. He didn't like or believe any of the miracles of Jesus, so he took a razor to his Bible, and he cut out all of the miracles of Jesus from his Bible. We actually still have it. And so you open it up, and you can kind of see through it. You know, you're like, and that's what's happening right here. That's this kind of thinking. And fourth, textual criticism must be employed. You have to employ textual criticism to deconstruct the author's word and therefore to understand it better. So you, what you have to do is you have to delegitimize the word. You have to deconstruct it, textually criticize it in order to find out what like maybe the author meant. And so you, you accept that, but you, you sort of reject that. And as you can imagine, this gets wonky really fast, but this is very popular in our day. And really there are, are two sort of expressions of this. Offensive moment number three. So one is actually kind of noble. And there's a, a form of this that I actually celebrate. There are Christians, and I would be one of them, who say, Hey, look, we need to acknowledge that Christianity has messed it up big time in some things historically. If you look back over history, there's some things where we've blown it. And I'm going to give you an example. One example we have to acknowledge is the sin of slavery. We have to acknowledge the sin of segregation. That was promoted by evangelical Christians. So we have to acknowledge that. We have to, because to deny that reality is to deny reality itself. So I would like to deconstruct that and say, you know what, that's not right. Like, what, what, what do we need to learn from that so that never happens again? How do we, what do we need to do to fix that? You know, you start processing through that. Again, that's just one example. And in some ways, that task of stripping Christianity from its evangelical consumeristic marketing bent and its sinful past, I'm all for that. Because you know right now that there is a political party that panders directly to evangelical Christians. They've slapped a label on them and said, this is how you think and believe. And there's some messed up stuff in that. The other one, though, that we're going to talk about here is far more common and far more troubling. It's the rejection of the inerrancy and the infallibility and ultimately the authority of God's word. Because if I'm going to deconstruct, I've taken the legitimacy away from the power structure of God being a revealing God. And I've said, yeah, 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 I know it says that, but I don't have to believe that because men wrote it. And those men were fallible, and therefore, God's word is fallible. So I strip the authority away from it, which means I'm okay living in theological dissonance. That's basically compartmentalized spirituality. If you say, I'm okay living in theological dissonance, it's like 
Look, I know the Bible says I shouldn't divorce, but I'm not happy. And I'm going to go ahead and do that, regardless of the fact that I don't have biblical grounds. You're saying, I am willing to live in theological dissonance. I will compartmentalize my theology. And so instead of pursuing a professed faith in Jesus and dealing with this issue according to God's biblical standards, they're now pursuing a faith in Jesus marked by personal experience, personal desire, personal opinions and context to the disregard of biblical authority. So they reject the authority, and that is what today is called progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity and theological dissonance are the same thing. I go, I know the Bible says that. I don't care that the Bible says that. I'm willing to live in that friction. And that's the disregard to God's biblical standards. Now, when we started, I told you a story about a genius young man who took the family computer apart and laid it out all over this dining room table. See, taking it apart was the easier part. Deconstructing your faith is the easier part. It's the reassembling that's really, really hard. And the reality is, some get into the faith, and they start asking questions. And I want you to know, I am all for asking questions. Ask anybody I run with. One of the most annoying things about me is when they ask me a question, I turn around and ask them a question back. I can see your heads nodding in the room right now. <laughs> because you, but, so I'm totally okay with questions. Asking questions, never a problem. Just make sure you're asking it not to strip away the authority of the Word of God, because everything a believer does need is found in the Scriptures. Why? Because that is the vehicle in which God has chosen to reveal Himself. So if you're going to deconstruct your faith, totally fine. If you're going to deconstruct your faith, totally fine. Just make sure when you're putting it back together, you've got the owner's manual. What I wish I knew before I took that computer apart deconstruct your faith all day long. Ask great questions. Just make sure when you put it back together, you've got the owner's manual. Otherwise, your faith is going to look just like my mom's dining room table. Parts everywhere, not functioning to accomplish anything at all of any value, which is the caution of verse 21. Paul says, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. So here's the deal. Without the owner's manual, without your Bible, who is God? Like, without your Bible, who is Jesus? Can't use your Bible. Who are you? What is sin? What is salvation? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to profess faith in a risen Christ? Without using your Bible, there is no salvation apart from him. And there's no salvation apart from his revealed plan. There is no other way. So if you deconstruct your faith and you remove the authority of the scriptures, you've entered into the world of speculation and of personal opinion. Your truth, my truth, our truth. And at that point, you have drifted from the fact that Jesus is the way. That Jesus is is the truth and that Jesus is the life and nobody comes to the father except through him 
And I get the idea behind this. I, 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 I do. I understand the allure to go, look, Kevin, it is 2023. And are you telling me that I'm supposed to base my life, my perspective, everything about me on a book, at least for the New Testament, that was written in the first century? Like, that's what you're telling me? And I'm like, hmm, yeah. Yeah, 100%, yeah. That's, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Because there's no other inspired word of God. There is no other manual to put life back together. So, like, I'm going to go with yes on that question. And by the way, when you're talking about the Word of God, just to make sure, we're not talking about an ordinary book. We're not talking about like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like we're talking about something that was written by, by, by 40 different authors of all different professions, kings and peasants, written on three different continents and three different languages over 1,500 years. And they all talk about one common idea, which is the work of our Savior of our sanctifier, and of our healer, and our coming King, Jesus Christ. It has supernatural continuity to it, which means it is worthy to be authoritative. And so if you're here today, I want you to actually hear this part. If you've tuned me out, you're new, here's your spot, right here. I want you to hear me acknowledge that there has been a lot of people, maybe you're one of them, there's been a lot of people hurt by the people of God. And we've done a lot of damage to various communities through the years. There has been a ton of pastoral misconduct. There's been a ton of pastoral misconduct and hurt that have abused people in the church, their own flocks. There's been a lot of people like that where people in religious power have hurt people and manipulated people for personal gain. And that grieves me just like it grieves you. And so often, people who are deconstructing their faith are doing so because of a lot of pain and a lot of questions that they've asked, and they're not getting serious answers to those questions. And so, to those that are experiencing that, I just want to say, welcome to Faith Covenant Church. We're so glad you're here. Just to be clear, though, if you're staying... We're not a perfect place. I'm not a perfect pastor, far from it. But we're walking in grace. We're trying to humbly steward God's word. We're trying to faithfully teach the text. Because really, I'm not interested in my opinion either. I, I know you're not interested in my opinion. I'm not all that interested. I know my wife's not always interested in my opinion. You know, even my family. I, I, I don't know that we're, any of us are interested in that. I don't think those are very helpful. Because we want to understand with clarity to be diligent, to handle accurately the Word of God. And so if that's you, I'm glad you're here. We just want to love you well as you're processing through this stuff. And we want to pastor you well. Because we're not afraid of your questions. And we'll answer the ones we can. But there are some things that relate to God, just to be clear. They are unanswerable because it hasn't been revealed. We'll do the best we can. But know this. If you come to us and ask a question, we're going to open up the owner's manual, just to be clear. I'm not going to give you my opinion without telling you this is what God's word says, and I don't know what to do with it other than like that. And so let me close with this. Church, how are we as the followers of Christ to flourish? How do we flourish in a culture like ours 
where the whispers coming into your ears are so prevalent and are so intense every single day? Well, we've got to guard what's been entrusted to us, which means we have got to be a people of the book. We've got to be. So when you sit up here and go, Kevin, you're going to announce again about small groups, Aspen again, life transformation groups again. I don't want to go to no stupid life group. I just want to come on Sunday morning and sit here and go home and come back next week. And you wonder why we talk to you with such veracity and such intensity about small groups. You know why? Because we want you to read your Bible and we want your Bible to read you. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for you to read your Bible and to give space for your Bible to read you. Because let me tell you this, your computers come at you every day. And your coworkers and your neighbors and our culture and everything on the news is coming at you every single day. And the owner's manuals for too many people are left sitting on a table gathering dust. And we wonder why we're a little wonky. We've got to read our Bibles and let our Bibles read you. Every day we have to be careful to avoid the whispers of this world that lead us away from the very Word of God. Why? So when you're talking with someone about your thoughts, about your opinions, or some social issue, what's the chapter and verse that your response is based on? Wouldn't that be great? Because if you don't have a chapter and verse... You're not dealing with an authority, and I'm not going to align with it. So when you're watching MSNBC or CNN, what's the chapter and verse with that? Hmm. And when you're watching Fox News, and you're drinking that in from a fire hose, what's the chapter and verse with that? Hmm. Because, you know, at least the news programs I watch have never given that to me. Wouldn't that be great? here's the thought, and here's the chapter and verse. I need the authority to be the word of God. Why? Because that's how God has revealed himself. So second way we can flourish in our culture today. How about we need to learn to love our neighbor? And just to be clear, you know, there's a good chance. I'm just guessing here. Your neighbor does not think or believe like you. They actually think you've got like three heads. Because you get up voluntarily on a Sunday, just Sunday alone, and go to a church that's so outdated that has not, what it, sleep in, go out on the boat, grab an early brunch. And so we should be confusing them, don't you think? If we're not confusing them, there's a problem. So how can we love them well? And after, maybe we can have a conversation with them in a real and meaningful way and not just morality lectures in anger or not looking at our neighbors and give morality lectures out of frustration how can we love our neighbors well putting the gospel on display every day and finally i would say how about can we like just be kind to one another like just in here okay like just in here how about if somebody posts something online in here that we don't like or agree with, how about we not post or comment? <gasps> right? Like, how about we just, how about we get some thick skin? How about we believe the best? How about we just go, you know, maybe they don't know. Or maybe I don't know. 
Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. How about before we try to be kind out there, how about we get really good at being kind in here? Because I'm not sure we're really good at that yet. I'd like to be. How about we get to, we're, we're known. Everyone in the city goes, you go to that church, you're going to be forgiven. They're so annoying. How about that be said about us? Those people forgive so quickly. They forgive so completely. How about in here we just give somebody a break? And we look and go, you know what? Maybe they had a tough week. Maybe something's going on in their marriage. Maybe something's going on with their kids. Maybe something's going on at work. Maybe something's going on financially. How about we just give people a break for a second instead of commenting with anger? How about maybe, I don't know, we like love somebody. You know, maybe we don't have to get so angry. Because our biblical position might be offensive the way we say it doesn't have to be. Because you didn't write the biblical position. It's going to be offensive. But you know what? You, you don't have to say it that way. But I would say the best part, and maybe some of you thought I was going to skip this. I thought the best part of this whole section right here was the last five words. Last five words, verse 21. Grace be with you all. Mic drop, exit stage left. Grace be with you all. Kevin translation. Good luck with that. That's what it means. <laughs> Fifteen weeks. He, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm out. That, that's sort of what he's saying. And, and that's the point of the book. Such a strange ending, but his point is, this is going to be hard. That's what he's saying. This is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to hold to godliness in an ungodly culture if you're affluent in an influential church. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be hard because every time you vocalize your opinion, you're going to get canceled. You're going to get fired. You're going to get ignored. You're going to get unfriended. It's going to be hard because every time you say, this is what the Word of God says, you're going to have people telling you their truth, their story, and their experiences, and therefore reject everything you just said. And Paul's like, you're going to need the fruit of the Spirit to live in a world like that. You're going to need the fruit of the Spirit to live in a world like that. And we as a people of God have to find the courage every day to say, what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say? And eventually, you're going to get annoyed not knowing what the Bible says and do something about it. But we've got to ask that question, because how do you guard that what's been entrusted to you if you don't know what's been entrusted to you? And church, whatever position you want to hold on whatever issue you want to talk about, I want to challenge you to all day go, what does the Bible say? What's the chapter and verse? Not in a sarcastic way. Chapter and verse. You're like, we don't need more of those people. Karen. <laughs> Right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry if there's a Karen in the room. I don't, I don't know. My bad. <laughs> uh, and if you can't do chapter and verse, you might need to rethink your position because we need to guard what's entrusted to us just like Timothy did. Because if we want a healthy church that's going to reach every man, woman, and child with repeated opportunities with the gospel of Jesus Christ, those are the house rules.